This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod, Puckcast with Statsman and AJ, brought to you by, with support from our pals at Owner's Box with their new way to enjoy fantasy sports. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Schultz, who's a great follow at AJ Schultz24, who's based in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, near Rotowire headquarters over there in Madison. Today, I have to bring back a segment that we shelved for the last two seasons, partner. Long-time listeners will remember the rant of the week. Well, I'm in full rant mode, as you know from just prepping with me this morning before we even went to air. Consider the following issues of league discipline that we've heard in the past week, uh, AJ, and I know you're familiar with all of them. Tom Wilson got a seven-game suspension for rubbing out Brandon Carlo with a headshot. Alex Chason got one game for post-game cross-check on Leafs' Jimmy Vesey. Alex Ovechkin even got a game for his vicious use of his stick in administering the old separator against an opponent last week, a Bruin player who is going to be doubtful for having children because of the viciousness of that attack, I'll say. But one Bradley Marchand somehow escapes lead discipline for a cross-check to the back of the head of a defenseless New Jersey defenseman, Ty Smith. Just look, you folks... Just type in Brad Marchand cross-check into your browser to realize how many times this guy's done this, and yet he he gets away with it. I don't understand it. How is this possible? Well, for what it's worth, I'm going to give this Bruin winger a distinction today. He goes into the Statsman Blacklist Hall of Fame, partner. Henceforth, this sneaky, dirtiest player in the game goes into hiding and will never be mentioned by me on this podcast ever again. I'm sick and tired of this guy, and he joins a certain Texas Rangers second baseman in that shameful academy of most undistinguished athletes that I have ever witnessed while watching games on TV or in person. AJ, I'm fuming about this guy, and I'm telling you what, I'm glad that he's not in the room with me today right now because it would be fireworks. I don't know if I'd I, I'd like to leave a mark is what I'm saying, okay? What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I mean, so first, let, let's start with Tom Wilson. I mean, if there's ever a guy that earned a heavy-handed suspension, it's absolutely Tom Wilson. I mean, the only – they talk about, you know, in suspensions, they evaluate was the head the main point or the first point of contact 
you know, that's what the player safety always talks about. In this case, the head was the only point of contact. Uh, Tom Wilson deserves everything he got in a seven game suspension. It should have been longer. You're talking about a guy who has now been suspended three times for illegal checks to the uh, checks to the head, not to mention two other suspensions in total. You're looking at 30 games lost one, uh, about $1.3 million in suspended salary for Tom Wilson. So seven games is more uh, than generous for him. It should have been more, although I've heard it compared. It probably would have been a 10 game suspension in an 82 game season. Um, but I think it still should have been 10 in this season. Alex chase on for his part. Look, uh, I, I think you're talking about the problem here being end of game, you know, after the game. And that's probably really where the lead came down. But this is a guy who's never been fined, never been suspended in his career. So one game certainly feels uh, acceptable there. For Alex Ovechkin, look, he was just trying to check out Trent Frederick, make sure he had all of his equipment on, you know, just double checking. It's important that you're properly attired. No, I mean, uh, you know, a fine, a fine for the, the spearing incident. Um, you know, you're talking about a guy who, other than what they've de- labeled as conduct detrimental to the league, this guy hasn't been sp- suspended or fined since 2012. Uh, those one game suspensions coming for skipping the all-star game a couple of times over the, you know, a few years. So getting a fine here, you know, end of the day, I, I'm fine with that one as well. Now we'll get to uh, the, the player that shall not be named here. Uh, you know, you're looking at a lengthy list of suspensions. He's been suspended for a total of 19 games over his career. I will say this is the first suspension for cross-checking. Uh, never been suspended for that before. He's been suspended for elbowing, spearing, and then clipping uh, three different times and one other elbowing suspension. So to be fair, he's never been suspended for cross-checking, Paul. But this is also a guy who probably should have been suspended for licking opponents, kissing opponents, all things that you definitely wouldn't get away with in today's COVID uh, protocol era. That's for sure. Um, I agree with all the suspensions on the other one. I did not see the Brad Marchand cross check, but uh, I do think uh, he probably gets away with more. And I, I'm not really sure why uh, he certainly is deserving of a, of a couple more suspensions for some of his antics. That's for sure. Well, and so uh, we'll leave it to our listeners to make, maybe bring him up in their comments, but we'll just say the Boston winger, first line winger, henceforth. And, <laughs> and that's good enough for me, AJ. Well, let's get on with the show. We want to go through with the 31 rosters as usual uh, with our roster breakdowns. But before that, we have to give our nod to our friends at Owner's Box. And I defer to my partner here. Take it away, AJ. Hey, NHL fans. Owner's Box is here to reinvent the way you play fantasy sports this season. Owner's Box is not DFS. They are the first ever weekly fantasy sports platform that combines the best elements of the industry into one product. Owner's Box is a head-to-head elimination-style format that keeps players engaged through live snake drafts, social interactions, and a new layer of strategy that allows you to become the ultimate fantasy GM. The best part about weekly fantasy sports is there's no long-term commitment. Users are able to draft a new team every single day and participate in different types of contests. Keep the fantasy experience fresh and fun so you're never out of the game. Compete with your opponent over seven days of fierce competition and get paid out weekly. No more falling subject to unfair payouts as up to 50% of users win money uh, on Owner's Box. Owner's Box is also allows users to brand themselves 
and engage socially across the platform in multiple different ways. Add friends, create custom leagues, and rank up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. Think you have what it takes to be a weekly fantasy guru? Head over to ownersbox.com and start making a name for yourself today. In honor of the NHL season, if you sign up free now, Owner's Box will match your first deposit up to $500. What are you waiting for? Head over to ownersbox.com slash rotowire to claim your bonus and join the new wave of fantasy sports. All right, partner, this week I get to go first as we wind our way through each NHL roster with lineup and injury notes. And I know that this is also the first week where we didn't have any postponed games, so a full slate of teams to talk about for the first time in our weekly segments here. And I will begin with a look at Anaheim, where they went 1-2-1 and last week, and Rickard Raquel led, led a, a rather prolific offense with two goals and five assists. Lundstrom had three goals, Troy Terry had two goals and one helper, but a note on him, he's listed again with a day-to-day injury with an upper body hurt, so keep an eye on his status, because while he has been uh, ticking along, uh, he's had some injury bumps, and uh, he's currently in one situation like that right now. Ryan Getzlaff even chipped in with a couple of goals. He's more of an assist guy, so uh, keep an eye on him and, and the way he's used on the power play. It's still a significant part of his, his value in DFS play. Cam Fowler has done a great job carrying the offensive load with a couple of guys on the back end hurt. Uh, one of them is not Kevin Shattenkirk. He also chipped in with three points last week. But Josh Manson, this guy's been in and out of the lineup lately and uh, got dinged up in yesterday's game. Uh, so keep an eye on his status going forward and uh, note that the uh, load offensively still will fall to Cam Fowler when this team lines up on the power play. Uh, in the, in Manson's case, the, the thinking is that while it's a, it's a lower body injury, and it's not a recurrence of the abdominal muscle injury that he just came back from, AJ. And I know you, you're a big fan of John Gibson here, AJ. I know that. But, uh, and I am too. I like the fact that this guy has shouldered a lot of the goalie load. But of late, he's been struggling a little bit, partner, allowing three or more goals against in a string of nine straight games. And I also add in the fact that only twice has he made 30-plus saves in those contests. So it's not because of a heavy workload. He's just not quite on top of his game as he usually is. What was surprising for me this last week is that Brendan Gooley ended up on waivers uh, and, and went unclaimed. You're talking about a 23-year-old defenseman. Uh, he was 51st overall selection in, in 2015. He was part of the Brandon Montour trade with, with Buffalo and, and Anaheim during that deal, and they, they waived him to move him down to the minors. And I was surprised nobody took a look. Uh, you know, he doesn't have a big contract anything like that, you know, especially when you consider, you know, the Penguins took Mark Friedman off uh, waivers last week and, and he doesn't have, you know, quality player, but he doesn't have nearly the same pedigree as, as Brendan Gooley. And I was surprised nobody uh, at least took a shot at him in terms of the Arizona uh, coyotes. Things uh, went a little bit better for them last week, two and one uh, pet uh, pit Lake rather got two goals. Uh, Jarmelson with three assists. One kind of concerning thing for them is last night, Darcy Kemper picked up an injury that would really rely, force them to rely on anti Ranta. Now he was perfect in relief last night. So a, a good outing there, but I think long-term I'm not convinced he can be a number one overall for them. Part of that is his in, in, injury history since joining the coyotes. He's probably, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's gotta be close to spending more or as many games on the shelf as he has in action for the Coyotes. So that's a concern for me and something to monitor as we move forward into the rest of this week. 
And AJ, I want to mention Nick Jalmerson, more noted as a defensive defenseman, and he gives decent value in low uh, low end DFS picks with just by hits and uh, block shots. And uh, you, ha- you can add the fact that he had three assists last week. If he puts together a game where he gets an assist and his usual allotment of hits and block shots, he's in there for for a good value play. Uh, I know block shots uh, count a lot in in DFS, so I think it could be a sneaky good value if he gets a point and and a few of those block shots to his resume uh, on a DFS night. So an interesting side side option there if you're looking on the defensive side of the puck for value in DFS. The Boston Bruins went one one and one last week. Partner Nick Ritchie has fit in very well in a second scoring line. I like this guy's shots on goal rate of better than two per game, and he's looking good there on David Krejci's wing. Right now, Trent Frederick is also a guy who's getting a little more action uh, on the depth chart. He lists as the third line left wing. I think there's big things in this guy's future. He gave us a glimpse of that with two goals in his last four games played. There's a new look on the blue line as well with some shuffling going on there. Jakobs Borrow pairs with uh, Charlie McAvoy on the first pairing, and Matt Grizzlick returned from his injury stint on the second pair. And they've added Jared Tenorti on the third blue line pair. This guy is the son of Mark Tenorti. You won't remember him, AJ, but this guy was an absolute terror on Minnesota's ice uh, ice way back in the day. One of the toughest fighters I've ever seen in the NHL. And if uh, that uh, talent has gone to Jared Tenorti, you're going to want watch hockey fights uh, going forward, if they, they show clips on YouTube of this guy swinging like his dad, it would be something for you to see because uh, Tenorti Sr. was an animal. <laughs> well, you know, the, the younger uh, Tenorti certainly stood up, despite being a, the new guy on the team, uh, dropped the gloves uh, with Tom Wilson after, after that hit on Brandon Carlos. So certainly uh, more than willing to, to square up, that's for sure. So it seems at least, uh, you know, the old man taught him something there in in terms of that aspect of the game. Look, uh, Boston's record uh, is a concern for me when you consider their goals allowed per game over that three-game stretch was just one per game. They had some really good goaltending, you know, just weren't getting anything in the way of offense. In fact, they were the fifth-worst offense over the course of last week. What's interesting about that is the names that fall into this category. Paul, you, you'll have no uh, expectations on this, but number five, Boston, number four, Washington at 1.67. Uh, then some usual suspects we expect here, Detroit at one and a half, New Jersey at one and a half. Paul, any guesses as the worst offensive team last week? Not, not, a, not, a, not a hint. Edmonton Oilers at wow. 1.33 goals per game. So, uh, look, there, my point is there's a number of teams that have been struggling, so there's plenty of time for Boston to kind of figure this out. But it's certainly a concern uh, heading uh, into the rest of the season. We'll talk about concerning teams, and that's the Buffalo Sabres. 0-4 in their uh, last week, winless in their last seven. Uh, you look at their goals for is right at two. They're, they're one of those worst teams in the league. But perhaps more concerning for them is the other side. They're also tied for, uh, for last week for the most goals allowed at four and a half. So there's no offense. There's no defense. And ultimately, there's no wins in Buffalo. And uh, if things keep going this way any longer, I think the other thing that Buffalo is going to be without is Jack Eichel. Wow, there's a there's a hot take, and I mean he must be steaming that poor guy. Uh, looking for this team to finally contend is is uh, 
a pipe dream at the moment here, and uh, they're winless in their last seven, looking really, really hopeless right now. And partner, just just so you know, I played dumb there when you said Edmonton. <laughs> I know, I know, it was the Leafs that hamstrung that team three three games in a row, and McDavid and Drysdale didn't even get a point until the third game of that set. So. Uh, I, I thank you for leaving the door open for me on that one. <laughs> Carolina went 4-0 last week in terms of a team that's on the opposite end of the hot and cold scale to Buffalo. They've actually won their last five overall. Martin Netchcash leading the scoring parade with two goals and five helpers. And in the Nets, they've had great goaltending from, goal from both Nadelkovic and Reimer, each of them posting two wins and each of them allowing only four goals against. So uh, you can help me out. There's not much to choose from between the two guys, and that's a great bonus for the coaching staff. They can just close their eyes and say, okay, let's pick you. <laughs> Spin me around and let's pick you to start. Uh, with Toivo Teravainen out of eight of the last nine games, the offense you would have thought was a little bit challenged. He's got an upper body and concussion issues that are going on. Uh, there's been uh, a lot of movement here in the roster. Sebastian Ajo is now flanked by McGinn and Fogel on a line and stalled between Svechnikov and Fast, but it really hasn't slowed this offense down. They're ticking and bopping away, so uh, really the magic touch is working here, and uh, they're not missing a beat despite uh, a key bump there uh, with Teravainen's status. Well, and of course, they are missing Paul's favorite defenseman, Jake Gardner, uh, who's dealing with uh, some injury concerns as well. But you're absolutely right. You know, for as long as Peter Mrazek has been sidelined, you would not have expected Carolina to necessarily carry on the way they have been. Uh, they're, they're one point back of, of the Lightning for, for the Central Division lead, um, you know, which is, I think those four spots are going to be a toss-up, if I'm being completely honest. A- any one of those teams can move in there. I don't see a lot of challenges from the outside looking in, um, but we'll get on to some of those teams in a minute. First, let's start at Calgary, who makes the coaching change here uh, during the during the last week. So they'll have a new man behind the bench in, in, in Daryl Sutter. Um, they went one, two and one last week. Dylan Dubé, three goals, two assists. Noah Hannafin, two goals over that stretch as well. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the dynamic looks like in, in terms of line combinations and, and all that. Um, you know, I, Sutter's a, a more old school coach, so don't be surprised to see Milan Lucic getting some more opportunities. <laughs> a guy that can play rough and tumble there. Uh, I definitely expect to see him a little bit more. Um, but they've got Jacob Markstrom fully healthy and, and ready to go. And I would expect him to kind of eventually, you know, it's been a rough start, a loss and an overtime loss in the first two games back. Um, But he'll get back on track here. And I expect him to start piling up a couple of wins. This is a guy that I'm still pegging despite the time off to at least reach that 20 win mark here. He's got 12 to go to get there. uh, And I certainly think he will. Over in Chicago, AJ, Brent Seabrook announced his retirement. He, his injury woes are, are now uh, the cause of, of that early retirement, I'll say, but he gave it all for this franchise, was a big part of their Stanley Cup winning era, and a key uh, partner uh, with Duncan Keith and one of the better offensive pairings, all-around pairings in the NHL during their time together. So a tip of the, of the hat to Brent Seabrook. And a look at a Chicago team that continues to retool on the fly, AJ. I can't believe the rebuild that's gone on here. And uh, it's happened around a, a big comeback year for Alex Debrinkat. He has really benefited from playing opposite 
the wing from Patrick Kane. He has 30 points in 22 games. Strong DFS play every time out. Seems to be undervalued a little bit uh, considering the, the, the scoring stability that he brings to this team on a nightly basis. But uh, sneaky good value if, if uh the people at FanDuel and DraftKings continue to give us a break in that regard. Dylan Strom is one youngster who's not been along for the ride here in terms of the, the recent success. He's on the IR with concussion issues, and I can't wait to see him get back and healthy and chipping in along with the, the youth core that surrounds Patrick Kane on this team. It's been one of the compel- more compelling teams to watch in the last little while. Even Malcolm Subban in the Nets has uh, has uh, turned things around from early season struggles. He, in fact, is cha- challenging Lankanen with uh, appearances in three of the last six games overall for the club. I'll also throw out another young name that is starting to make a grade here. Uh, there's a bit of a breakout uh, most recently, and that's Brandon Hagel playing right wing on the second line. He has four points in his last seven games. Might he be the next youngster that fits in on a consistent basis going forward for a team, as I say, that's having a magical rebuilding season on the fly. Well, and you mentioned that they, you know, are going to potentially get Strom back here at some point. It also sounds like Kirby Dock is heading in the right direction. And boy, would that bolster what I would argue is their weakest position right now at center. Um, I, I think he for sure slides in as their number two center, if not pushing Pius Sutter to be the number one guy there, uh, you know, especially as, as Taves is out. And look, you know, we, we saw it was literally a matter of, of probably 10, 15 minutes. They placed Seabrook, Andrew Shaw uh, on, on IR, long-term IR. And then shortly thereafter, we heard Seabrook's retirement. I can't imagine we're not going to see a similar retirement announcement here for Andrew Shaw with the lingering concussion issues. They basically said they're going to wait until he's starting to feel better from the concussion problems and then evaluate if he can even play again. And I, I, I think I would not want to watch Andrew Shaw playing in a game uh, to be totally honest with you. I don't want to see somebody get another concussion given his history. Uh, and so that's, that's hopefully they'll, you know, they'll make the right choice. Look, if he's cleared and, and healthy, it's hard to argue to keep a guy from, from doing what he loves here. But I, I certainly think, uh, it probably would be best for him to to hang up those skates. That's my personal opinion on it. Obviously, he can make the decision for himself. In Columbus, we got uh, a guy coming off the IR in Elvis Merz-Lickens back on the active roster, and I think this is going to really help them out. I, they Columbus is so much better when they can split the workload between Corpusalo uh, and, and Merz-Lickens. Look, you you know last uh, fifth uh, last sixteen games for Columbus. Uh, Corpus has appeared in 14 of them. That's just a, a huge workload for any netminder. Uh, and certainly I, I don't think he's well suited for that in terms of offense. You know, you got two goals, one assist from Jenner, same from Wierenski. I'm sorry, two goals, one assist from Jenner, two assists from Wierenski. And then the team as a collective went two and one this last week, a, a decent run of form. But look, as I mentioned earlier, I just don't know with how good Chicago has been this year. You know, Tampa, Carolina, and Florida, I think, are, are pretty much locks for how they're playing to make the playoffs. Maybe Columbus could track down Chicago, but I just don't see it at this point, especially when you consider they're going to add back Kirby Doc and Dylan Strom in the coming weeks here. Uh, so for me, at this point, I think Columbus is on the outside looking in. Paul, do you have a different take on them as a playoff team? No, I think I'm right there with you. And uh, they have to be concerned about the, the lack of performance from Max Domi. He has pointless in his last eight games overall, AJ. And when you think that Pierre-Luc Duba went out the door and they got this guy, 
it doesn't seem like a good deal for Columbus at the moment. Uh, uh, the, the, the trade-off in terms of the skill level of these players, not that they were one-for-one deals or anything like that, but it's just looking for Domi to fill the role that du- Dubois left behind. It's not happening here. And then on defense, you've got the fact that Vorensky has been very slow to chip in offense uh, alongside Seth Jones. He also had some injury issues earlier in the season. He's only got two assists in his last six games played. Uh, those are two issues where they're looking at those two key players that are not really delivering to keep uh, Columbus closer to the playoff spot hunt that you, you described. And it's certainly going to help them that uh, Elvis is back in the building there. I had to say that. <laughs> the Colorado Avalanche, they went 2-1-1 one, and one last week, and uh, the enigma known as uh, Nichushkin uh, got two goals, one assist. We seem to look at this guy in fits and starts. That's what, that's what he delivers. But, boy, when I look at this guy on the ice, he's got size, he's got speed, he's got a good shot. I just don't know why he's not able to put it all together consistently. But he gave us a glimpse again last week. Brendan Saad was alongside, got two goals and one, two assists. And Gerard from the back end, I've been touting this guy as a viable scoring option for the blue line, and he delivered last week at two goals and two assists. Again, he might be the defensive version of Nichushkin up front, that he shows you glimpses and then he goes in hiding for stretches. So uh, guide yourself accordingly in terms of these inconsistent players. And the biggest problem of all is Nate McKinnon sidelined with an upper body injury, missing the last two games and could be out for a few more. That's going to obviously hamper this offense. And boy, those people that were touting this guy as league MVP and betting big bucks on him before the season started have to be disappointed with the uneven start that he's had largely due to the injury woes that have nagged him so far this season. Nazem Kadri and and, and uh, Yost move up in terms of the depth chart at center. Philip Grubar continues to shine in the nets under a heavy, heavy workload in terms of regular assignments without missing a beat. But uh, there might be a concern here at some point because of the condensed schedule that uh, Colorado's been playing because uh, he, he's riding without much support from Hunter Mixa in terms of backup contributions. But I say ride this guy going forward as long as you can because it's a very deep, deep team in front of him, still one of the top uh, juggernauts in the entire Western Conference, I'll say. Well, I certainly have some concerns about this team, and I, and I talked about it last night in a, in a radio spot. Um, you know, Miko Rantanen was moved over to center last night because they don't have McKinnon, they don't have Comfier, so they have more wingers than they have centers at this point. Uh, and that's not a move I love. I, I, I don't know that there's a better option. I'll be completely honest. Um, so I do think it's, it's the right choice, but it's not a good choice. <laughs> it's the right bad choice. Let's put it that way. Um, because, you know, I, I don't see how that's going to totally work out for them. And it, it didn't last night in terms of getting a win. But it does give additional value to Nishkin because he's playing on a top line with Landeskog and Rantanen, uh, and maybe they can gel and, and figure something out. But I'm expecting it to be a Band-Aid, if anything. You know, talks are maybe Nathan McKinnon could be back Wednesday, uh, possibly, and that, that would be a big help. You know, there's concerns about this team on the back end, too, with, you know, Kel McCarr, Bowen Byram, Connor Timmons, Dennis Gilbert, Eric Johnson, all out in very to various degrees so you're looking at a, a third pairing of uh you know ryan graves and, and greg petterin uh who was you know just recently in the minors so i don't love the depth there as well so there's some red flags here but obviously if they start to get healthy sooner rather than later 
I think they'll be perfectly fine. Uh, another team dealing with a couple of injuries is the Dallas Stars. They went one and two last week. They still don't have Alexander Radulov, who's been out for a while. John Klingberg missed a couple games due to injury. Or I'm sorry, rather uh, missed one game for personal reasons. Uh, and then, of course, there's uh, you know the long-term issue of not having Tyler Sagan or Ben Bishop yet to this point. Uh, and so I think some of those cracks are starting to show. But they've had a couple of guys step up in, in Robertson with two goals and one assist, Baxa with two goals. And, of course, Miro Heiskanen continues to thrive as the number one blue liner for them. Uh, really a, a quality, quality defenseman. You know, he does have a few fits and starts here. You know, he had a stretch of six games where he only had one assist, but you look at his last three games, two goals, two assists. So an up and down player a little bit, you'd like some more consistency from him in the long time. Yeah. I think that's a consistency that he showed more last year than this year, AJ. And that's a bit of a concern when you add that to the injury woes that this team has had. Heiskanen has been really up and down in terms of his performance and they need him to be one of the two linchpins on on the back end to provide offense along with Klingberg uh, to have success on an ongoing basis. But their whole structure is challenged with the number of hurts that you identified. A team that's challenged night in, night out, simply because they're thin on talent overall, is the Detroit Red Wings. They went 0-2 in a limited schedule last week, AJ. But Philip Zadina, at least, has started to show some signs of of the offense that uh, was expected of him when they drafted him. He had two goals last week, and that makes four points in his last five games played overall as a right wing on the second scoring line. Bobby Ryan is leading uh, a leader in the attack here, and I think that he's going to be held up as a bargaining chip at the trade deadline uh, for a team that's contending, and it could return some nice uh, future value for for the Red Wings after they rehabbed uh, Ryan's career in this environment. So it's a win-win situation for the team and the player going forward should he depart to greener pastures and return some some chips back to the, the Red Wings. Dylan Larkin's missed the last four games, but is back skating. This team really misses their captain. Obviously, you take uh, a guy of this quality out of a, of a thin lineup, it's going to hamper them overall, and it really has. You can see it, but uh, maybe there is some help, hope on the horizon. For me, uh, though, uh, Mantha is a big disappointment on the right wing here. Uh, the Anthony Mantha was supposed to be one of their offensive leaders. He's only got 10 points and an ugly minus 16 as a right wing on a, on a top unit with regular minutes and no injuries to speak of, uh, really an underperformance from a guy that they're looking for big things from. Well, I'll just dive into Edmonton. I think you covered Detroit pretty well, considering uh, there's not much to talk about there. And it was a rough week for the Oilers. They went one and two. Uh, Russell, really their only big offensive contributor with three assists. We talked earlier about how you know much the offense was struggling. Towards the end, Connor McDavid started to figure it out, a goal and two assists. Um, but a, a tough week for them. But you're going to have this happen from time to time, especially when you're playing the same opponents over and over again. And nothing will improve the fortunes of any of the Canadian teams like a couple of games against the Senators. It'll help every offense uh, get better <laughs> and every defense look that much stouter. The one con- you know, lingering concern I have is Miko Koskinen. He had one outing over that stretch last week, was shelled to the tune of three goals on 10 shots. Uh, and really has underwhelmed and underperformed here. Uh, I think they need to figure out how they can give Mike Smith as much game action as possible um, because I just don't see Koskinen offering much the rest of the way. And look, it's not a surprise that after he signed his, you know, kind of uh, his contract extension a couple of years ago, 
it was within days that the GM was let go. You did um, what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> AJ, Mike Smith is 38 years old. And, and to say that the Oilers rely on a 38-year-old goalie who is not on the top of his game is a real telling sign here. Koskinen, a big question mark, as you indicated. But you kind of passed over the fact that Russell had the three assists. This is a third-pairing defenseman that led this team in scoring last week, while the likes of McDavid and, and Dreisaitl, particularly in a three-game set against the Maple Leafs, were completely MIA. I think between them, McDavid got no points, and Dreisaitl got a second assist. Terrible stretch of games for the team, and it's no wonder that they were one of the more futile in terms of overall scoring that you uh, covered earlier in the show over the past seven days. On to the next club. We're talking about the Florida Panthers. They're one of the teams that has been consistently among the top performers in the league. They went 2-1-1. One, one. Keith Yandel reached a milestone of 1,000 games uh, played in the league, and the last 890 have been consecutive for the league's current Ironman. He's got the longest stretch of game action, consist- consecutive game action in the entire NHL. And this is a guy at the beginning of the season that they were talking about maybe not playing regularly. So he's bucked that trend and continues to be a very good DFS play on a nightly basis behind a pretty good offense here in Florida. Consider that the likes of depth forwards, Achari with three goals, one assist. Vitrano, two goals, one assist. Mason Marchmont, former Leaf farmhand with two goals, one assist. Boy, I hated to see this guy go, AJ. I thought that he could be a tough guy with good hands, and that's what he showed at least last week. You can add almost Anthony Duclair almost to this list. If he's healthy, he's missed the last four games with an upper body hurt, but is traveling with the team and should challenge for top six minutes soon after he returns to this lineup. Heck, even Bobrovsky's been better of late, allowing only 13 goals against in his last five starts. So there's a lot of good news out of Florida right now. All right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that streak, and, and I know it's at the risk of, of jinxing Keith Yandel here. So, so I will send an apology if I do. But uh, you look at it, he's just 24 games away from moving into the second for most uh, consecutive games played. The lead is probably out of reach for uh, – actually, it is mathematically out of reach this season. So he would have to finish out this season and play into some of next season to catch Doug Jarvis, who played 900 – and 64 consecutive games over his career. Uh, a couple other guys with current active streaks. You've got Patrick Marlowe at 877 and Phil the Thrill Kessel at 869. These guys are some of the toughest in the league, and, and it's fun to watch them go every, you know, every night and, and see what they can do out there. Um, you know, obviously, Marlowe may be the least productive of those three at, at this point in his career, but certainly – uh, still grinding away in Los Angeles. They continue to grind away uh, games here. One, one and one, which for the Kings, I think is a pretty good record for the week. And you consider three points out of, out of uh, three games. Big concern for them is the injury to Jonathan quick, uh, an upper body injury that uh, kept him out of last night's game. They do have Cal Pedersen and they've been splitting time between the two of them. Uh, and that's been working out well for them overall. But it is a concern to me, uh, you know, it's a, that's a young netminder with limited NHL experience and to have to throw him into the wolves right away, playing uh, more consistently every night. I'm not sure how well it'll work. In fact, if you look at his early February stretch where he made five straight appearances, he went one, two, and one uh, with a 2.56 goals against average. So I, I guess that's decent goals against average for this team, but not a lot of wins there, obviously. 
so something to watch uh, if they switch to just riding him, if they use kind of, you know, veteran journeyman Troy Grosnick in, in kind of a rotation, uh, certainly uh, something you're going to want to keep an eye on. You know what I call the, the rebuild that's going on here, kind of Chicago light with the number of youngsters that they've infused into this lineup over the last couple of years. And this season, with some degree of success, I'm looking for big things from Andreas Athanasiou, uh, AJ. He was injured earlier on, but he's back in the lineup getting a regular shift and suddenly has five points in his last seven games played. This guy's an uber-skilled winger, and he brings a lot to this offense, and he's showing it right now. So a pretty good low-end DFS play if you're looking to fill out a roster. Over in Minnesota, this is another team that's been lighting it up with some youngsters leading the way, but it's the veterans that kind of contributed last week to, to uh, lead this offense despite a 1-2-1 and record on the, on the week. Marcus Foligno had a pretty nice time for himself, three goals and three assists leading the offense. Greenway chipped in with three goals and one helper. On the back end, Jonas Brodin, three assists. That's four points in his last six games played for uh, normally a, a defensive-type defenseman first. The Wild continue to hang in with the top teams in the Western Conference because of some of the performances that they're getting, including Kakanen and the Nets. 13 goals against in his last seven game starts. He's actually outplaying Cam Talbot, who allowed 13 goals in his last three games by a wide margin in the Nets. So if you're looking for that uh, rotation and who owns the net, it's the youngster over the veteran. Victor Rask up front has added six points in his last five games played, kind of like Nichushkin that I mentioned earlier. This guy's got all the tools. But uh, that was a five-game stretch that he went six points, and, and now he's been blanked again in the last three or four outings, too. So up and down he goes. Uh, a guy that you're familiar with, Nick Bukestad, may steal some of that ice time after producing seven points in his last seven games played overall. He's listed as the third-line center, but I can see that changing if he continues the recent tear. Well, I have to talk about last night's performance with Capo Kakinen. We had... Uh, two netminders going on an absolute tear heading into that game. You had Flurry on a five-game winning streak, Kakinen on a six-game winning streak, uh, and it was the youngster Kakinen who came out and, on top with his first career shutout. Uh, so a solid outing by him. He continues to ride. Uh, you know, I'm I'm surprised they're continuing to split the workload. Uh, it's obviously a management thing in terms of making sure he's not too overwhelmed. But you're talking about a guy on a seven-game winning streak during which he's uh, sporting a 1.42 goals against average. I, I think it's maybe time to take the training wheels off here, uh, the Cam Talbot training wheels, and maybe give this guy a few more opportunities. Uh, in Montreal, a good week for them, 2-0-1, uh, as they've had a bit of a resurgence here after the coaching change. Thomas Tatar, five assists. Uh, Jonathan drew in three helpers over that stretch. They're getting, uh, you know, decent net mining here from from Carey Price along the way. Had a, uh, you know, three in his last three games, just one goal allowed in each of those. Obviously, that's a disappointment if you only give up one goal and suffer an overtime loss. Uh, certainly not the outing they wanted. Um, maybe they used up all their their scoring the game before when they shelled Winnipeg to the tune of seven to one weren't able to muster anything last night uh, after that one. 
Yeah, to me, the problem still is the lack of performance that they're getting out of the centermen. Suzuki cooled off big time after his early season start. Philip Deneau can't find the net. And uh, yes, Barry Kotkaniemi, uh, hardly an offensive juggernaut himself. He's lucky right now, though. That's listed that he's getting to play with Toffoli and Anderson, probably the two of the three best wingers that are in the Canadiens' arsenal. So he, he has an opportunity here for big things with those uh, large wingers. Uh, on his flanks so uh, look out look out for that unit Yoel Armina Armia back and healthy on the wing with Suzuki they're looking for some magic there and of course Jonathan Drouin probably one of the bigger tickets on this roster still not scoring consistently so there are a lot of questions for me on this offense and uh, the father time continues to chip away at Shea Weber he is hardly the scoring uh, sensation uh, among league defensemen that he was in earlier years he's been limited to one assist in his last seven games played, had one two-goal game, and then they went on another lengthy scoreless streak there too. So not getting a lot of offense out of a lot of key players on this team is is really a telltale sign that challenges this team's offensive uh, uh, structure. The New Jersey Devils, here's another team that's challenged in terms of of an offensive structure, but one bright light last week came from the net mining situation where Wedgwood turned in a 40-save shutout in Boston of all places. A couple of youngsters here making the grade of late. Yegor Sharangovich in as left wing on the top line, has three points in his last five games played with added ice time. And Yanni Kokinen getting a look at right wing on the top line. He's been blanked in his last three games played with his added playing opportunity. So just keep an eye on those two youngsters to see if they can make good on extended time there. Cal Palmieri is a guy who's been carrying a lot of the load offensively but struggled this season, slapping, snapping a re, an eight-game pointless drought last week finally. They, they need him to, to chip in regularly and if they have any hope uh, of, of keeping tr- pace with goals against. Well, I'm definitely concerned uh, with New Jersey about the, the injury to, to Nico Heischer, a, a concussion, and he's considered week to week in the league's protocol. Um, you know, I, I, it's certainly a concern to see um, a player as young as he is having to deal with, uh, you know, pretty significant concussion concerns here. Uh, and that's, you know, Hopefully it won't. Hopefully he comes back fine, but you have to worry about his, the long-term impact of that one. Uh, in Nashville, they've got uh, some of their guys have started picking it up a little bit despite a disappointing one-in-three week for the team. you got Philip Forsberg with seven points in the last four games, Matthias Ekholm, two goals, two assists. Um, but other than that, the net mining uh, is the big concern here, in, in my opinion, again, you know, I, I, I get we harp on this a little bit, maybe a little bit too much for some of our listeners. But look, bad net mining will lose you games no matter how much offense you have going for you. Pekka Rene went, uh, got four uh, opportunities to play last week, went one and three over that stretch with a .880 save percentage. So certainly not good enough from him. Uh, and UC Saros seeing pretty minimal work, which is a, you know, surprising uh, in that sense that they've kind of turned things uh, over there. Obviously, he's got that injury, which is certainly a factor uh, in, in that. So uh, if he comes back, he'll probably take back over, but his numbers haven't been great on the year even prior to getting hurt. AJ over on the Island, New York Islanders situation. This is another team that's hot. 4-0 and last week, five straight wins overall. And look at this fourth line. I can't even call them a fourth line anymore when I see numbers like this. Cal Clutterbuck, two goals and one helper. Matt Martin, two goals and two assists, including one that he banked in off a goalie's head. I want to say more about that in a minute. Casey Zizekas with a goal and three assists. Jordan Everly, a goal and three helpers. 
Pat, uh, JP Pajot, three assists. You get the idea. The offense is clicking here when the bottom six is pouring it on like this. And in the Nets, Sorokin is finding his groove. Two wins and only four goals against. With the scoring lines humming as well and their attention to defensive detail in place, this is a team right now that no, nobody wants to play. Consider three straight wins over an awful Buffalo team by the same score, five to two each night. That was a bit of a, an oddity. But uh, it, that, those three wins over over the lowly Sabres isn't causing me to overrate the squad, is it, AJ? They mean business, and they're healthy right now. But I, before we go on, i got to have a, a rant here. I mentioned that shot by Martin. I don't know if you saw it, but he banked it in from almost the goal line off the goalie's head. How is that possible? Well, I'll tell you how. The goalie was in a deep crouch with this stupid positioning that I consider stupid positioning that I consider continue to see on an ongoing basis around the league. When goalies have a guy on a sharp angle below the face-off circle, there's absolutely no way goals should be scored. But they take up this stupid posture where they got a knee down and their head is under the crossbar. Of course, they're going to leave an opening there. So, and we saw it in Toronto on a recent game where Mike Hutchison plays the same way, and a shot goes over his shoulder and into the net from a sharp angle. These are team deflators. All you got to do, folks. This is Paul Bruno, the goalie coach, coming out now and saying, "All you got to do is stand up." Face your shooter on a good angle, and there's no way they can score. AJ, you're a hockey coach too. Please tell me that you're not coaching the goalies to, to kneel down in the nets at any point in time. Uh, I'm just going to back away from this one, Paul, and and just uh, let let your you have the final word on on the goalie positioning there. I'm certainly no goalie expert, that's for sure. Uh, in in the Big Apple with the Rangers. Uh, a three and one week, Alexei Lafreniere, two goals, one assist. Philip Cheadle back in the lineup, one goal and two assists. Now that's not to mention some of their big name guys contributing as well. Pavel Buchnevis, two goals, four assists. Chris Kider, four goals in the last four games. So they are getting offense. They're getting uh, net mining here as well. I think this is a team that's going to be really dangerous to play. Uh, Shesterkin had, had two wins. Uh, over that stretch, 0.947 save percentage, so a decent run of form for him. Uh, this is, you know, you look at them in the rankings, and, or in the standings, rather, and you might consider them an easy out, especially when you consider uh, Artemi Panarin is still away from the team. Shesterkin is dealing with a bit of an, uh, a groin injury that caused him to miss uh, the last two games, but they still have a decent netminder in Alexander Georgiev, and even Keith Kincaid, if they want to go that route, Seems the offense is still clicking without Panarin, so you add him back in at some point, and it's just that much harder of a team to beat, that's for sure. You know what? And it helps them that their young rookie is finally starting to get along that learning curve. Alexi Lafreniere, you mentioned three points last week, playing first-line minutes, too. I think we're going to see the best of him over the next little while now that I think he's gotten over the stage fright of starting a season maybe with all the hype around him I think he's settling in and we're starting to see uh, the talent come out and it's, it's a pleasure to watch I'll say that the Ottawa Senators went two and two and I, I won't bash them like you did earlier in the show making it seem like they're an easy out this team play, has played a lot better of late and uh, this this streak that they're on most recently hasn't seen them lose too many in a row and so uh, I bit of, take a bit of an issue with the way you panned them earlier on I'll say that coming to the defense of Ottawa Senators fans. It's not something I do on a regular basis, but I will in this instance. <laughs> Drake Batherson is a guy that uh, they, they touted as one of their uh, up-and-coming scorers uh, a few weeks ago.
ago, and we've seen that consistently. I think we've mentioned his name in each of the last four weeks in terms of scoring production. Two goals and one helper again last week. Colin White chipped in with a couple of goals. Artem Anisimov with a couple of goals. Even Ryan Zingle, who has recently rejoined this team for his second tour of duty in the Canadian nation's capital with two goals. I have a lot of time for this guy as a steady goal scorer, and we're starting to see that. Uh, wonder if he can keep it up long term, but he's going to get top six minutes in the near term to really boost his, his morale and, and this offense for what it's worth. Backup goalie Hogberg is out with a, a lower body injury, and that uh, means he could be available sometime in the next week. But in the interim, Murray has been uh, forced to play every game, and he's been pulled in two of his last four starts. So some real serious goalie concerns here. Despite the fact they're scoring a lot, they're giving a lot, up a lot in the nets as well. Thomas Shabbat on the back end, though, is uh, a guy that kind of has uh, overcome uh, concerns from the rest of the roster, and he's back among the scoring leaders in the defensemen in the NHL after a slide last season he's back in good form and playing almost half a game every night out Nick Paul is going to lose some time at left wing on the top scoring line one goal in his last 22 games played I think Ryan Zingle's a top candidate to get that spot going forward well I'll issue kind of a word of caution on Drake Batherson Uh, to start the year he had one goal in his first 16 games then of course he goes on this uh, tremendous tear no you know no doubt about it uh, you know, eight goals in eight games, you know, one, one double in there too, but he's back on the cold streak right now. He, he's goalless in his last four games with just one assist over that stretch. Um, so I, I, I think there's, there's maybe a little pump the brakes there in terms of, of utilizing him. We saw an extended slump to start the season, maybe wait until he gets one more to put him into your DFS lineups to start a new uh, streak rolling there for him. Uh, one team that could certainly use somebody contributing a streak is the Philadelphia Flyers, who fortunately went one and three last week. That included two losses to the Penguins. Uh, good news for me. Um, you know, the, it's some of the same old story that we talked about earlier in the year when they were having troubles. You know, you look at Jacob Voracek, uh, no goals in four games, you know, two assists in there, certainly better than nothing. Um, but they got one assist from Ivan Provorov, one assist from James Van Riemsdyk. Uh, you know, yes, they got production out of Travis Konechny, four points over that stretch. Um, but honestly, even bigger than, concern than that is the goaltending, neither netminding, ha- netminder having a good week. Carter Hart went 0-2 with a .852 save percentage. Meanwhile, Brian Elliott goes 1-1. One with 0.875 save percentage. So no goaltending, no offense. Uh, and this is a tough, tough division. There's a reason that a, a simple bad week like that, you know, in most seasons, not a big deal. You can turn it around. You can recover. And I'm not saying it's all doom and gloom now, but they were previously, we were talking about them being number two right behind Boston. Suddenly they're sitting at five in the standings in the East and that's out on the outside looking in. So There are no time for weeks off, that's for sure. And we get to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins. I go first, AJ, but I'll give you the floor in a second. I know you're chopping at the bit, uh, <laughs> champing at the bit, rather. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins went 3-1 and one last week. Kasperi uh, Kapanen is a guy that I kind of ripped a week ago, and boy, did he answer uh, in typical fashion. Three goals and three assists uh, for a red-hot week for, for him, but I still think he's a teaser, AJ, and you can, you can rebut when you get the floor. Jared McCann is a guy I have more faith in on a regular basis when he's in the lineup. Two goals and two helpers for a guy who can move up and down this roster, and he has in the last few years. Same with Zach Aston Reese. Two goals on his ledger. 
But uh, Rust is a guy I want to talk about a little bit, AJ. He's moved into the right wing, top spot on the right wing. That means playing time with Sidney Crosby with three points in his last four games played. I look at this guy's shots on goal rate, and it's better than three a game on the season. That's phenomenal. And as long as he's with Sid the Kid, he's going to continue to to get opportunities going forward. But uh, that means that Kapanen has been moved to a second scoring line with Evgeny Malkin. It's not like going from the penthouse to the outhouse at all, by any means. <laughs> but I just thought it was an interesting move to see that uh, that switch up. And uh, after coming back into the line with five points in his last six game played, though, McCann is again sidelined with an upper body injury. And that's a shame. This guy just can't stay, stay healthy, it seems, uh, of late. Uh, on the back end, a note uh, that I think you have more uh, insight on, and that's uh, DeMoulin coming back into the lineup, and he moves right in playing time alongside Chris Letang, and it could further boost the club's key offensive defenseman, who is once again among the top scorers at his position. Well, yeah, you absolutely, that is the biggest aspect that, that most people will see about Brian DeMoulin's game, is his ability to free up Chris Letang. And, and ultimately, that is one of his bigger assets. But one thing that's undersold on Brian Jumelin's ability is to get the puck up the ice and transition from defense to offense. If you watched uh, that Sidney Crosby goal where he split the defenseman, flicked it over the goaltender, really a beautiful goal. That pass was made by Brian Dumoulin. He's the one that sprung Crosby to go on that. And look, the, the best thing that they could do to, to capitalize on his ability there is try and get that pairing out there as much as they can with Kasperi Kapanen because that is a guy that is speedy, that knows what to do when he's on a breakaway. And that's why he's so streaky. You know, Paul, you know this as well as I do, but with his speed, if he can get breakaways and, and stuff like that, he'll score more often than not coming down, you know, uh, one on oh or, or one on one even. Um, but, you know, you don't get those every single night. And so it's why he tends to be a bit of a streaky player. I was wondering if you were going to talk about him, eat a little crow on that one, Paul, for your, uh, you know, panning of him last week. Um, I, the McCann injury is a big concern, though. You know, it, you go from start of the season, you've got Jerry, Jason Zucker in that spot. He gets hurt, but you get Jared McCann back right away, so he fills in. Now you're looking at who goes into the top six. Uh, here's, our, here's some potential candidates for the top six here. Brandon Tanev, Evan Rodriguez, maybe Zach Aston reese uh, these, <laughs> these aren't names that you normally throw out when you're talking about top six on a team. No. <laughs> uh, and so without McCann, that's certainly going to be a big concern. I'll, uh, I'll wrap it up there and go talk about the San Jose Sharks who went one, two, and one last week. Uh, look, it's, it's so hard to talk about this team with anything other than net minding concerns um, because, you know, Devin Dubnik gets an, you know, OT winner last night. This was the guy's second win of the season in 12 appearances. Uh, you know, from, from a 40 win guy one year in Minnesota, most of his seasons in Minnesota with the exception of the last one, we're 30 wins campaigns. Like this is a guy normally just winning a bunch and he goes to San Jose and just can't do anything in terms of a win. I don't know if it's the goaltending coaching there or what. I mean, even you look on paper, like this, the defense in front of him is Mario Ferraro with Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, uh, Simic and, and Vlasic as a shutdown kind of third pairing. Like there's no reason that these goaltenders should be doing this badly in San Jose. 
Um, obviously, their other big concern up front is the fact that Timo Meyer and Thomas Hurdle both dealing with injuries. That's really going to stretch their their top six. Again, you talk about names you don't normally see in the top six. They've got Matt Nieto uh, filling a top six role for him. I think <laughs> that could be the first time in his career he's played top six minutes. Uh, you know, he's he's more of a, a bottom six plugger, in, in my opinion. Yeah, and number two center with no goals on the season right now, Dylan Gambrell. That just tells you all you need to know. You want to say something nice about San Jose? I can. It's just a personal note, though, and that is that Mario Ferraro is a cousin of one of my son's best friends. There, that's a nice little note <laughs> if you want. But it doesn't have anything to do with DFS value or scoring value or anything positive to say about the trajectory of this team it's a real struggle for the sharks right now as you mentioned i'm sure the weather in san jose is totally fine that's something else nice we can say about san jose i'm sure it's sunny and nice <laughs> that's aj shoals 24 for those of you that want to send your notes from san jose to my co-host uh, a lovely city i'm sure i have never been but uh, i've been nearby there's a saint bruno up there actually uh, a friend of mine told me and i had to go visit that the last time i was out there too so kind of cool but that their former mayor came to visit once uh, in a couple of years ago. <laughs> the St. Louis Blues went 3-0-1 last week. The, this is a perennial cup contender, and they're looking like it right now. And, and it's uh, support scoring as well as uh, solid goaltending that is normally the recipe. But last week, really, they did it with, with an overall contribution. Zach Sanford leading the offense with three goals and one helper. Uh, I also note, though, that uh, Jordan Bennington uh, stumbled with a pair of four goals against outing in his, outings in his last three starts overall so uh, some uh, unsettling signs as well but uh, they're plugging through Jordan Cairo uh, has slowed down a little bit in terms of his scoring pace uh, in a top six role with only three points in his last seven games played he's not going to lose playing time there though with Schwartz still out of the lineup and expecting to miss at least another week but it's on the back end that they got some tough news they've been missing Colton Pareko uh, in the last nine games with a back injury and I'm told most recently now that it could require surgery and that might be the end of, end of his season but on the flip side his long-term IR status has paved the way for a shocking return of Vlad Tarasenko to make a surprise return. I wasn't expecting to see this guy until the playoffs, AJ. They made that comment clear because they couldn't fit his his salary cap into the environment, into the club situation. But now that Pareko's out, they have that flexibility and they took advantage of it. The Russian tank made his first appearance last game. Four shots on goal in that outing. I expect him to be a frontline player for this team, obviously. Uh, as soon as he gets untracked, you'll see the numbers start to go there, and that's a big boon to the offense, but, boy, they're, they're missing Pareko on the back end, and that's a tough blow there. So it's give with one hand and take with the other. Yeah, that, that's certainly a concern. I mean, you talk about the, the list of injuries. I, you know, some of it is more depth, guys, but, you know, Tyler Bozak, Robert Thomas, Oscar Sunquist, even Jacob De La Rose, uh, in addition to sort of Schwartz and Barbashev being out, like there, there's a ton of injuries on this team. And that's why you're getting guys like Jordan Cairo opportunities to play in the top six. And to your point, there's no one really to challenge in there. What you can put Nathan Walker, Kyle Clifford in the top, you know, first line role. I, I don't think so at, at this point. Um, and you mentioned Bennington's struggles. Uh, fortunately for them, they had some decent outings from Billy Huso to, to kind of step in and, and maybe give, uh, you know, Bennington uh, an opportunity, you know, including last night's game, 3-0-1 in Huso's last four contests. Uh, the goals against average a little bit high at 3.16, but basically he's just keeping them in games and letting them win. 
so, and you add Tarasenko back to that, uh, you can do even more of that when you have that guy. In Tampa, look, it, it just doesn't stop. Three zero and one Kaloran, three goals, two assists. Yanni Gord, three goals, uh, three assists. And, and, you know, really just I don't know what you do against this juggernaut right now. Uh, offense is clicking. Gord, Kaloran, you know, Pilat had five points last week. Hedman had five points, so you're getting production from the back end as well. These guys are producing on the power play, so certainly don't take any penalties against Tampa. That's not going to work out well for you. Um, and then, you know, they've, they've got the, you know, I'll, I'll say arguably just to hedge my bet, but I, I really shouldn't. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to. They have the best netminder in the league and Andre Vasilevsky. That overtime loss that I mentioned came at the hands of Curtis McElhenney. Vasilevsky won all three of his appearances, .944 save percentage. I don't know how you stop this team. And, oh, by the way, all things continue to point to the fact that once we get into the playoffs, they're going to get a little-known player named, uh, uh, let me check, Nikita Kucherov back in the lineup for the playoffs. This team is unstoppable now, and you're going to add that guy back in? It's, it's insane. I, I, I don't know who's going to stop them. Yeah, and just for fun, they're switching things up offensively just to, just to keep it interesting for followers of the club. Anthony Sorelli was their second-line center much of the season, but most recently we show him playing right wing on the top line with Point and, and Palat uh, stretching out the roster. That has a little bit to do with the shakeup at center. Yanni Gord and Tyler Johnson taking up a couple of spots there. I don't see Braden Point anywhere, AJ. So, uh, oh yeah, he's listed on the number one center, I should say. So, uh, Gord and Thompson, Johnson playing second and third line center roles. They've done it before, but uh, I think it's an interesting thing to see Sorelli on the flank on the top unit there. Maybe giving some defensive support to guys that play more a one-way game than Point and Palat, if you will. Though uh, I think I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing their defensive ex- exploits. I just think that that uh, Sorelli insulates them that much more. The Maple Leafs it's- went. Sorry. I was going to just add, Paul, it's, it's almost like John Cooper is just switching up lines just to see what happens. Like, it, hey, if an injury came up, like, could Sorelli play on the wing? Sure. Could Tyler Johnson move to center? Like, it's it's like he's experimenting just in case to have, like, backup plans. Don't, and, you, and, don't you think the guy must feel like a bit of a mad scientist back there? Uh, <laughs> uh, put this guy there, put that guy there. It's all fun and games. We're winning every night. Blah, blah, blah. And the Leafs, talk <laughs> about winning every night. I, I mean, they went 2-2 two and two last week, and I felt like it was a big losing week. So they, they came out of Edmonton after crushing the hopes of the Oilers with three straight wins, but then they came back down to earth with two subpar efforts against the lowly Vancouver Canucks. So way up and then way down was the nature of my week of fandom for, for my favorite team. But interesting notes there. Bottom six performers, Jimmy Vesey with three goals, and Jason Spezza with four assists led this offense. And on the downside, Austin Matthews still looks a little bit limited by a nagging wrist injury. He admits as much, and you wonder if he, he might benefit from more downtime, although it's not looking like he's going to take some. They got a critical three-game set against Winnipeg coming up this week, and they need all hands on deck to, to kind of do what they've done all season long, and, and that's knock down pretenders when they have uh, head-to-head matchups over multiple games, but then they've They've done it before, and I hope they do it again. On the, uh, further on the plus side, John Tavares is looking like his old self of late, uh, chipping in with regular offense from the second-line position. He was going through a bit of a scoring slide, but uh, that's a thing of the past. And Zach Hyman is, is thriving on the third line. This guy has helped every unit that he's been on in the last few years, and it's no, uh, no surprise that he's doing the same thing in the third-line role with a couple of... Uh, 
youngsters there that are making life miserable for opponents night in and night out. I'm talking about Ilya Mikhaev and uh, Pierre Engvall, who have just been fantastic in terms of the way they skate and and get in the way of of the flow of the game for the opposition. It's a prototypical third-line unit that's really a disrupting force behind two solid offensive lines. Uh, I haven't got much to complain about, have I? No, and I mean, you could uh, get some help here for, for a bottom six that doesn't really need it, or even top six in, in Wayne Simmons. The, the cast is off the wrist. He's skating. Uh, and, and now, from, from all accounts, it's just a matter of getting the conditioning up for him. And so that's, that's good news uh, for, for the Leafs, uh, absolutely. In Vancouver, you mentioned they had some good games against uh, the Maple Leafs. They went 3-1 and one last, last week. Uh, Nils Hoglander picking up two goals for Tannen with two goals as well. And look, they managed to do it without Elias Pettersson for a number of games here. Uh, he's missed the last three contests and in, including last night's outing, a, a st- uh, you know, a, a good run of form for him too, right before that injury, his previous five games, he had three multi-point efforts over that stretch, give him five goals and two assists in, in his last five contests. So Getting him back sooner rather than later is going to help this team that seems to be finding its groove. Now, you know, a, a look at the standings. You have to wonder, is it a little bit uh, too little too late in terms of tracking down a top four spot? They are still only four points back but from Montreal, but Montreal has five games in hand on them. So I, I do think there's plenty of action left, but it, it may be too little too late to try and recover here for the Canucks. Yeah, but they can at least point to the fact that they're getting scoring finally from uh, from uh, top sources that have been dry for the last little while. Bo Horvat, Jake Vertanen, Tyner Pearson, Brock Besser all picking up the slack uh, after some down times in the last couple of weeks, and it's made quite an interesting turn of, of fortune when you consider they're missing their best player in the last three games, and they won them all. Uh, they have to feel good about that aspect. In, uh, in Las Vegas, they, the Vegas Golden Knights went 4-0. That's six straight wins overall. They're kind of like Tampa. You know, you got to nitpick to really find something wrong here. But I'll talk about something right. Alex Tuck is a third-line winger on this team in name only. Five goals and one assist last week, earning a spike in his normal playing time. I wonder if he'll actually get a regular turn with one of the top centers on this team going forward. And those centers include Chandler Stevenson, three, two goals, three assists last week to continue his rise from from uh, a person that we didn't really fit, factor into the DFS value here in terms of really good DFS value now, still under underpriced in my opinion, more nights than not. And on defense, even a youngster Nicholas Hogg, uh, with a goal and two assists chipping in from the back end of late. Mark Stone had 10 points in his last four games for being nicked up in his last outing, so keep an eye on his status going forward. Second liners, Mark Stone and Carlson, haven't been mentioned too much in our pods this season, but their production has been steady uh, for for the their profiles. It's Riley Smith, the right winger on the second line, that's a bit of a concern, though. A bit off his normal offensive pace with only nine points in 21 games played. That's the only nit that I will pick on the uh, Knights roster. Well, yeah, for me, it mostly comes down to injury concerns. You know, you mentioned Mark Stone, uh, Alex Petrangelo. Both of those guys missed out last night uh, in that game. And, and consequently, they lost for the you know first time in, in seven games. Now, some people will look at the fact that they placed Robin Leonard on IR yesterday as a concern. Um, but because they can use retroactive IR, 
that really doesn't affect his return date since he's been out as long as he has. So really, I think it was more the fact that they needed to make some roster shuffling to accommodate for the fact that Stone and Petrangelo were out last night. So don't read anything into that moving forward. I think the one thing you should read into in terms of the net mining is the solid continued play of Marc-Andre Fleury. He only gave up one goal in that or, um in that game last night, the other goal for Minnesota was was an empty netter. So he continues to perform well, and that's going to make it hard to get Robin Leonard back in in the lineup, in my opinion. Although, as I've noted before, it seems like Pete DeBoer is uh, anything but a Mark Andre Fleury fan. Uh, in Washington, you've got uh, some decent net mining as they went two and one in the last week. A win from Ilya Samsonov in his lone appearance. One win, one loss from Vitek Vanasek. Uh, for him, you know, this, this is a team we, you know, we talked about, they'll be without, uh, uh, Tom Wilson for a number of games here. Seven was the suspension. So they'll have to figure out how to shuffle the deck here. Looks like most likely we'll see a, a guy like Daniel Sprong or even perhaps Richard Ponick slide into a top six role. They've also used Connor Sherry periodically in top six opportunities as well. But other than that, this is a team that's fully healthy and fully ready to go. Oshi leading the way in points last week with three assists, which isn't really his game. You know, if I think of TJ Oshi, I think of a goal scorer, not really a, a playmaker. Um, no goals over that stretch, but is figuring out a way to contribute. And that's, you know, that's all you can really ask for. If there's a concern here that you have to pinpoint, it's maybe the fact that Alexander Ovechkin had just one goal in those three games. But this is not a guy that you uh, want to bank on slumping for any extended period, that's for sure. Yeah, I'll say Panic is the guy that I would I would venture to slot in as that second-line scorer. They've kept him around as, third, as a depth scoring insurance, and he's done it in the past. I, th- I think I'd take the veteran over the youngster sprung in that instance if you're looking to bank on somebody available in your free agent pools in your season-long hockey. So that's a tip that I will put out there. The Winnipeg Jets, as I mentioned, they're heading to Toronto for three games against the division-leading Leafs. This is the second best team in the North Division for my money. They went two and two last week, led on offense by Perot with three goals and Stastny with three goals. But uh, I, I'm curious to see why Stastny is playing wing on the top line. They did this with Pierre Luc Dubois when he first came over. I thought this was going to be a three-headed monster at the center ice position, but they're using uh, two centers on the top line uh, at the time for the time being. I, I thought they'd stretch their roster. Uh, with with the luxury that they have, when I list uh, the three pivots that they have on their roster, uh, one, two, three, I don't think there's a team in this division that can match them in terms of depth and quality there. So I wonder if this is another short-term experiment before they finally settle on the, the conventional route that I'm suggesting here. Um, Andrew Kopp has been productive as a top six winger earlier in the season, but he's been a casualty of, a, of this offensive shakeup, and his offensive slump has prompted his return to uh, the third line where he's been more accustomed to being. A heavy workload in this condensed schedule is reflected in the recent struggles of one Connor Hellebuck, AJ, who's allowed at least three goals against in his last seven starts. Uh, that's, uh, that's something we're not used to seeing in terms of what uh, we usually get out of the Winnipeg goalie. Are you at all concerned? It's definitely a concern. I mean, you, you talk about, yeah, it, you know, there, I think he had one game in there uh, against Montreal in which he gave up just one goal, right. but yeah, seven, seven of his last eight starts, that's three or more goals. Yeah. yeah. 
the I guess the one you know kind of silver lining there is over that stretch he still went five and three um so the offense able to bail him out a little bit I totally agree with your concern about this this roster shuffle I think to me what it indicates is that this team probably will look consider try and find a top six winger heading into the deadline because obviously they feel like they don't have other options here to move into the top six, you know, whether it be Andrew Kopp, Matthew Perot, Mason Appleton, uh, there, there's clearly no trust there because I agree. If, if I was building these lines, I'd probably do something like, you know, Shifling and Wheeler on one line with a body on the other <laughs> side, uh, Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois, same, put a body on the other side. And then Paul Stastny and Nikolai Ehlers as the third line, which I think would be really hard to match up with. But they obviously have concerns about plugging in the one guy in kind of each of those spots. Um, so I expect them to maybe look at, at a top six winger if, if available when the, the deadline comes up. And, A.J., it's a good way to tease the fact that in the next few weeks we're approaching the, the trade deadline and we'll have more rumors that we can throw out and uh, also suggestions about what other teams are looking for to augment their rosters as they make that playoff push that we're headed for, uh, one of the more exp- exciting times in our calendar. Well, that wraps up the uh, portion of our look, uh, look around the league, A.J., and we thank our listeners for tuning in to podcast with Statsman and A.J. Rotowire's signature fantasy hockey podcast with the support of our sponsor, Owner's Box. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow A.J. at A.J. Scholes24. Don't forget, you can watch this pod on YouTube on Rotowire, at Rotowire Hockey. As always, we invite you to listen in to podcast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. Stay tuned for our DFS segment. We've been winning a lot of people a lot of money in this, this last few weeks, and why don't you join in on the fun? So hang in there. We'll be back with you shortly. Hey, DFS fans, we haven't forgotten about you. AJ Schultz and I, Paul Bruno, the Statsman, are back with your daily fantasy sports picks with our thoughts ahead of tonight's schedule of hockey games on a Tuesday night. AJ, you handle the DraftKings portion of this uh, part of our show, and I look after the FanDuel portion. What have you got cooking in your DraftKings lineup for tonight's action? Yeah, so I'm going with uh, two kind of team mini stacks. I'm not not able to get the whole uh, first lines in here, but I like the matchups for Boston tonight and for Philadelphia. Obviously, the Flyers are going against Buffalo, so that's, that's a good point. And then I plug in a few other players. Now, full disclosure at the top here, I basically uh, sold out for my forwards and, and, and basically just found bodies to plug in on D. I picked some decent opportunities, some guys that maybe could uh, produce, but I, I definitely sold the farm. So it is a, a true GPP lineup here because there's not a lot of stability or guarantee that my blue liners here are going to contribute. But I'll start it off with my Boston players that I'm going to utilize, and that's their two, uh, their you know, old guard dynamic duo on the top line, Patrice Bergeron at 7,700 and Brad Marchand. You for said his name. You said his name. You said his name. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it. You know, uh, for, for those from the, the DFS uh, that only tune in uh, online for the DFS segment, uh, it, we have banned – or Paul has banned uh, mentioning Brad Marchand for his antics. You so, said it again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to use him uh, tonight. Uh, that's a lot of money to pay up for those two, but they certainly have found ways to produce. 
I'm also going to use a pair of flyers tonight in Sean Couturier at 7,100 and Joel Farabee at 6,100. Again, just trying to fit in either of the other wingers for these guys uh, was a little tricky in terms of the salary route. So uh, the other guys I have here, I have Connor Sherry for Washington at 3,300. Right now we have him in a third line role. But I don't know that we've gotten a real good look at what line combinations are going to be without Tom Wilson. And I think it's possible that Sherry moves into the top six. Even if he doesn't, I like the matchup with New Jersey. So I'm going to keep him in there regardless. But it's definitely something to monitor if you're on the fringes. If he moves into a top six role, I definitely think he's he's almost a must-have here. Uh, My utility spot I fill with my other forward here, and that's Pierre-Luc Dubois, 4,500. Uh, Winnipeg is going up against Toronto, who's been playing uh, great hockey of late. So points aren't going to be easy to come by for the Jets. Um, but Dubois currently filling in as the second line center in between Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers. So if he's not scoring goals himself, he's certainly got two guys on his wings who are capable of doing so. Uh, I mentioned I punted on the defense, and, and that's certainly the case. Uh, Philippi Myers for 2,800. Uh, you know, you look at his fantasy points per game on, on DraftKings, it's just 5.3. But Philadelphia does have a good matchup here. The other guy I use is Adam Pellets, 2,900. Again, right about 6.3 in terms of fantasy points. Tough matchup with Boston. Uh, so I get that. But he's a guy um, that has, you know, a, a decent floor for, for, you know, his cost. And so maybe if he can steal an assist here or there in the Nets. Uh, I'm going to go with James Reimer. Carolina's been really hot lately. Uh, I get it's maybe a little bit weird not to use any of their their out players and, and use the goalie, um, but I, I I just I like some of the other matchups here, and so Reimer's a, a bit more of a risk. He actually comes in at the same price tag, eight thousand, as Alex Nedeljkovic. So regardless of who gets the start between those two, I'm able to fit them in to my lineup. So that's how I shook things out on DraftKings. Uh, Paul, I know for FanDuel tonight, they do have an all-day slate that includes that early Penguin game. We're going to talk about the main slate, um, but uh, you know, just for our listeners to, to be aware, Paul's talking main slate FanDuel and not the all-day, although I guess you could just fade that first game and use Paul's lineup in that all-day slate. Exactly, and in terms of the lean that I have, I share your interest in Philadelphia Flyers over Buffalo. That's a hapless-looking team in the Queen City, and and I'm all over the Philadelphia side of that equation. Just the same, by the same token, I like the Tampa lineup against Detroit. I'm not taking some of the big guns there, but I'm taking in some guys that are good good value plays uh, at the lower end of the cost scale, though, to balance out my roster, and it looks like this. At center, I paid up for a couple of strong pivots who are the number one centers on their respective teams. Sean Couturier, back in a good flow of uh, play with 12 starts under his belt, averaging almost 17 fantasy points a game $7,500 is his price tag and I'm all over that one against the struggling Sabres Sebastian Ajo has done nothing but contribute steadily all season long despite the fact that some players have been hurt around him he's averaging almost 14 points per play in the 24 games that he's suited up in and I we've bashed the Nashville centers all season long this is a huge advantage for Carolina that I think the exploit with the play through flowing through Ajo and I think he's a, 
all over the scoreboard tonight. Dominic Kubalik has been one of the bright young stars for Chicago, and I think he has a chance to shine this evening against the Dallas team that AJ pointed out very well is struggling in terms of their, their defensive complement. Uh, they just can't be healthy in the back end and in, in nets, and I think Chicago could exploit that. And Kubalik at $5,000 is a cheap option in that regard. Ditto for Alex Killorn. $5,000 is his price tag. As Tampa goes into Detroit, I think they're going to be all over the Red Wings. And uh, it's the depth guys that have been carrying this team of late. And Killorn could lead that parade tonight. Mikhail Sergachev is playing up in the lineup. More minutes to his playing time, getting a lot of special teams action. I think at $4,400, a good value play there, considering the offensive upside this guy has, as well as his playing opportunity. And I mentioned Keith Yandel in the main part of the show, uh, just passing the 1000 career games played he's still a linchpin on the power play for florida a team that's been dynamic in that regard all season long against a very uh, struggling columbus lineup i think of strong value at forty three hundred dollars so while i paid less than five thousand for both defensemen i think i got two pretty good ones considering their situations the remaining two forwards that i have are key offensive leaders of their dynamic offensive teams and that's Mitch Marner of Maple Leafs at $7,500. I think that's a little bit lower than his price point in the last little while. It has a lot to do with the opposition from Winnipeg but I still think the Leafs power play is going to get a workout. Uh, A physical Winnipeg team I think is going to have trouble keeping up with a speedier Toronto club and that's going to lead to a, a parade of the penalty box that should see the Leafs power play lighted up and I'm counting on that for Mitch Marner's totals this evening. James Van Riemsdyk has been the surprise leader of the Philadelphia offense and yet he's only priced at $6,300. I think that's one of the better values on the entire board AJ when I look at it in FanDuel play and he's averaged 15 and a half points per game and I get him on the cheap tonight so I'm all over that and then I'm probably going to be uh, play the safe route and take a guy who's maybe odds on to be the easiest winner on the night that's Carter Hart in the nets for the Flyers against Buffalo at $7,800 not priced among the top goalies on the board either so some really good value out of a couple of Philadelphia Flyers in that Buffalo matchup I find that a little bit odd yeah it's uh it's an intriguing night uh to play reminder that uh you know that uh, that Penguin game is is early so if you want to dive in on that one uh, you know, we've got uh, both FanDuel and DraftKings have single game or, or showdown, as they call it, on DraftKings for that Penguin game. So you could play uh, just uh, the single game slate tonight and then uh, the main slate for the, the rest of it. You're going to play that single game slate, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to use all the Penguins and then, you know. Uh, hopefully ride it to to a big, huge win. There you are, folks. Uh, We wish you good luck with your picks. Keep an eye out for ours. Join us again next Tuesday for the following episode of the podcast with Statsman and AJ. And goalies, please get up, stand up, cover your angles. So long, everybody. 